Hello everyone and welcome to From the Archives. This podcast goes back to many sermons preached over many years. We thought we'd bring them from the past here into the present so you can enjoy some of the messages that came before. Take a listen to what we have tonight. Tonight, apologetics defending the faith. I am coming to, believe it or not, the last question on my list. Of all the questions that the youth gave us, we have come to the last question. So tonight we have the 17th question from our list, from our survey. It's this. Why did Jesus come when he did? Why didn't he come earlier? I, you know, the first part of the question I thought was just kind of simplistic. The second part got me. Why didn't he come earlier? See, here's the presupposition. If Jesus had come earlier, more people could have been saved. We talked about last week, how were people in the Old Testament saved? By faith. How were they saved in the days after Jesus? By faith. So did Jesus coming in, in you know, 3 BC, did that make a whole lot of difference for how folks were saved? No. So the other one is, why didn't he come earlier? That presupposes people have got some thinking about, well, if Jesus had come earlier, the world would be better. Take a look at the world. At one time, it seemed like all throughout Europe, all throughout the Americas, all throughout everywhere, you saw churches, healthy churches, vital churches, vital Christians with vital faith. You know, and now, even though Jesus has only come and, and gone back into heaven for about 2,000 years, look what's happened to the body that bears his name. I don't think if Jesus had come any earlier, we'd be in as good a shape as we're in today. But you know what? I want to take this question seriously. I want to answer for this young person this question. Why did Jesus come when he came? Galatians 4, 4 through 5. If you have your Bible, open up Galatians 4, 4 through 5. I want you to see this because I want you to have in your mind an outline. So when someone says, what's so special about Jesus? Why did he come then? Those of you who are my age and older might remember a, a rock drama from the 60s called Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, yeah. Okay, great music. Uh, sort of a terrible ending. They left him in the grave. That was really bad. I didn't like that part. Anyways, but, um, you know, Judas asks the question in song, why did you come to, to Israel in, in 3 BC? You know, there was no mass communication. There was no satellite TV. You can't have televised evangelistic events when there's no TV and no radio and no microphones. Why didn't Jesus come today when he could reach the whole world? Why didn't he? This is why. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. There is the scripture. Notice I have highlighted a few key words. In the fullness of time. The word fullness in the Greek language means completion or the filling up point. Remember that we talked about earlier, when Abraham was promised the land of Canaan, God said it would be for a later generation to inherit. Why? Because the sin of the inhabitants had not reached its fullness, had not reached its completion. God allots a certain amount of time for a people to repent of what they do before he brings judgment. Did Sodom and Gomorrah suddenly get bad one day and God decided to judge it? No. God was going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. He gave them time to repent. 
He gave them time to get right. And instead, they got worse and worse and worse. Same thing was true of the people in Canaan. They were bad in the days of Abraham, but they got much worse. They got much worse until God brought the Israelites out of 400 years of captivity, took them across the Red Sea, and took them into the promised land at the hand of Joshua to free that land and return it to the place God always intended it to be. So in the fullness of time, when it was complete and when it was filled up, what was so special about the day of Jesus? What was this fullness of time? What did it look like? Let me show you. The world of Jesus. First thing I want you to remember, what was in place during the lifetime of Jesus? How many of you guys have heard of the Pax Romana? Latin lesson. The peace of Rome. Rome had conquered the world. They kicked the stuffing out of the Greeks. They obliterated them. They took over the known world. There was nothing that Rome did not conquer. They beat everyone down with a stick. So the Pax Romana was this. All of the little tribal wars that had existed before that, in the days of the Parthians, in the days of the Babylonians, in the days of the Greeks, it was very dangerous to travel. You could only stay inside your own country because that's where it was safe. It was safe in your country. You went somewhere else, you were in danger. You were not able to travel very freely. The Romans did a couple great things. One is they subjugated the known world and they brought the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. The second thing they did is connected. The world had great roads because of the Romans. Now, how many of you guys remember World War II or remember reading about it in a book? Okay, there you go. Okay, here we go. World War II, da-da-da, Schicklegruber, not a good person. Okay, why do we have the freeway and highway system in the United States today that we have? Why do we have these massive roads that go from one end of the country to the other end of the country? It was not so Mabel and George could hop in their car and drive down to Orlando to Sun by the Beach. That's not why they built the roads. They built the roads to move the army from point A to point B to defend this country. Why did the Romans build massive Appian ways all over the known world because legions are literally thousands upon men. They did not have helicopters. They did not have the Air Force back in the day. It's probably why they lost eventually. No Air Force. Anyways, they had foot soldiers. <laughs> they had foot soldiers. They had to walk everywhere. Unless they sailed in a boat, but that's a, that's a Navy thing. Anyways, the, the roads like the Appian Way which stretched out the empire, were built to move the legions to conquer the world. Here's the great thing. After the legions had conquered the world, everybody got to walk on the roads. Everybody got to travel. Commerce increased. Merchandise increased. Movement of peoples increased. It was one empire. If you were a citizen of the empire, you could go anywhere. Now, if you've ever been to Europe, you know that for a long time, you could not go from country to country without a passport. Different countries. Everyone thought the U.S. was cool. You could go from a place like Washington to a place like Texas. I don't know why you'd want to, but you could do that if you wanted to. You could even go to, like, Maine for some, if you wanted lobster. You can go there without a passport because we're all citizens of the same country. That's what the Roman Empire did. It established a peace. It built massive roads to move the legions, to move the army, to conquer the world. And they left behind these massive, well-built roads that allowed people to go everywhere. Now think about this. Before the Roman Empire, these things did not exist. 
Something else the Romans did. Smart people, those Romans. The world had a universal language. What was it? Greek. Remember, Latin was the language used by the Romans in their government, but they kept Greek because the Greeks spread their language and their books and their documents throughout the world. Who knows what happened in 280 BC? Big, huge landmark for the church. This made everything possible. 280 BC, the Jews had lost the ability to read anything in Hebrew. They had been so assimilated into the Roman Empire, then it, well, first into the Greeks, then in the Romans. They had lost the ability to read Hebrew. So one very wise man gathers 70 a Septuagint of Jewish scholars together, and he says, translate the holy text of Israel into the language of the world, which is Greek. And in 280 BC, 280 years before Jesus, every single word of this scripture was translated, codified, set down, locked in, and has not been changed since 280 BC. So everyone that says, oh, the book of Daniel was written after all the events. No, it wasn't, because it's in the Septuagint 280 years before Jesus. Oh, they changed all the Old Testament scriptures to match Jesus. No, they didn't, because 280 years before the kid was born, the book was locked in stone or written in papyrus, whichever way you tend to look at it. The world of Jesus was unique. It had never existed before. Never had one language, one empire, one road system, one piece from conflict existed. Now traveling throughout Judea was still pretty dangerous. There were some desolate wastelands out there. But get outside the boonies and man, you could haul throughout the known world with one language. If you before had a little rabbi in Israel preaching something in Hebrew or Aramaic, was, is some Parthian going to care? Is, is somebody up in Dalmatia going to care? Is somebody up in Gaul, that's where Francis today, is somebody in Gaul going to care? No, because why? They can't understand it. But everything written in the New Testament is written in Greek except one book. Anybody know what book was not written in Greek first? Matthew. During the persecution of the Jews by the Roman Catholic Church, there was a defense made of the Jewish faith by some rabbis, and they brought out the book of Matthew in the original Hebrew. Now, they also wrote it in Greek for all the non-Jewish people like us. Thank you very much. But the original Hebrew manuscript was still there. If it had only been in that Hebrew text, it could never have spread to the world, but because it was in Greek, it went everywhere. Before the time of Jesus, this just would not have happened. God, in the fullness, the completion of time, did exactly what he needed to do to save lost men and women. Why did Jesus come when he did? Because it was the perfect moment in the history of the world. But don't take my word for it. Daniel 9, 25. There's another reason why Jesus had to come exactly when he came. Now, afterwards, you guys are going to want to fuss about this. Feel free. I've got nothing but time. <laughs> Anyways, if you want to fuss about it, I'll take you two or three good sources. I didn't dream this stuff up. I had to do the research. I'm too limited for this stuff. So I will show you what I have found and what is generally agreed upon. You may question it, but you can check it out all you want to, and it's there. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. This is what it says. 
Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moats, but in a troubled time. Wow. From the going out of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one will be 69 weeks. How many of you guys have heard of the 70 weeks of Daniel? 70 weeks of Daniel is in the passage immediately preceding this. There were 70 weeks of years left before God would utterly judge the entire human race. 70 weeks. Now Jews always spoke about weeks. They had weeks of days, they had weeks of months, and they had weeks of years. When not modified by days or months, it was years. So here, it doesn't say weeks of days or weeks of months. Therefore, it's weeks of years. Okay, from the going out of the word to restore and to build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one. What is anointed one translated into Greek? Christos, the coming of the Christ. You see the Septuagint says Christ. The Hebrew says what? The Mashiach, the Messiah, the anointed one of God. There will be 69 weeks. Okay, we need to break this thing down very carefully in order for us to understand it. Here we go, people. You're going to love this one. Okay, first, we have 69 weeks of years. Notice, the Hebrew calendar has 360 days in a year, not 365. It wasn't until the Julian calendar we had 365 days in a year, okay? So, if you break it all down, that's 483 years or 173,880 days. And you're saying, gee whiz, the pastor knows how to use a calculator. Isn't that amazing? Actually, it is. I had to do it like four times to get it right. Like, how do you do this? Hey, it was tough, man. I was not schooled in arithmetic, okay? It's tough stuff. So, what do we know about that? We know this. One, the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. As best scholars can research it, it was March 14th, 445. How do we know that? Right? It's the question you want to know. How do we know that? Because if you go to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, there is a king. His name in scripture is given as Artaxerxes. His name in history is Artaxerxes Langemanus. Artaxerxes Langemanus was the son of Xerxes, the cat that tried to take the Spartans and did. <laughs> okay, so it's all good. He's a descendant. Doesn't like the Jews very much. Here's the deal. He had a cupbearer. Remember the name of the cupbearer who served King Artaxerxes? Nehemiah. Nehemiah brings the cup in. Artaxerxes being a swift fellow, having had his Wheaties that morning, said, Nehemiah, what's wrong with your face? You look all messed up. He says, well, how can I be joyful when my city is trashed? Remember now, other decrees have gone out to rebuild the temple. This is the only decree in history, in scripture, specifically to rebuild the city. What did Nehemiah oversee the building of? The wall of the city to re-solidify, to reset the gates, to put it in stone. As best we can figure from history, that is approximately March 14th, 445. Okay, now that's important because the triumphal entry was about April 6th, 32. And I know what you're asking yourself, wait a second, how do we know that one? Well, 173,880 days from 314, 445, winds up with what date? That's right, 
the people that study calendars and stuff because they have a lot of time for that stuff people that do calendars say this matches the year 32 in the year 32 the palm sunday entrance of jesus would have been at that time but jesus came in and out of the city many times why is that date so important well it's because of zachariah 9 9. let me read to you zachariah 9 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. You choir members should know this. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The sign of the Mashiach, of the Messiah, of the Christ, is he would enter on the foal of a donkey, on a little colt. Jesus never rode animals, yet this day he did. Now also think about this. When Jesus came in on the colt, what did the people say? They said Luke 19, 38 through 40. It's this. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of Yahweh, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why? Why rebuke the disciples? Because they were singing Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is a psalm of the triumphant Messiah. The people were singing Psalm 118. That is a song for the Messiah. And they were singing it to Jesus. Now why is this important? Many times they tried to seize Jesus and make him king, right? We know that from scripture. What did Jesus do every time? No, 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 and he got away, right? This time, he not only allowed them to worship him. He arranged for the cult so that he could enter on the day of selection so that they would know he was the Messiah so he could fulfill the prophecy in Daniel 9.25. Jesus had to let them worship him because he had to fulfill on 173,880th day, he had to fulfill the prophecy that the anointed one, the Christ, would enter Jerusalem on the back of a colt to fulfill Zechariah. You see, there's a lot of things that are happening right there. Anyone know what day Jesus entered Jerusalem on? Selection day. What happens on selection day? All of the people came out to see the high priest do one thing. The high priest left and he went to Bethlehem. What was in Bethlehem? Sheep pens. Why would you go to the sheep pens on the day of selection? To pick the perfect sacrificial lamb for the Passover. The high priest left to pick the perfect, unblemished lamb. When the high priest returned, what did the people sing? Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. But when Jesus came in, what did they say? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of Yahweh. See, we read through these things so quickly, we never see the power and the impact. God had told us, sealed in the Septuagint for 280 years, exactly when Jesus would come, exactly how Jesus would come, and exactly how the people would receive him. Now you talk about how likely is it that a guy could contrive that kind of thing. No. I mean the exact day. The exact day and time. How impossible is that? I'll give you a better one that solidifies why this is so important. Okay. Luke 19, 41 through 44. Luke 19, 41 through 44. I want you to read this and I want you to understand what it says. Because it bears a lot with exactly what happened in the fullness of time. Because it wasn't just about Jesus coming, it was about what happened next. Luke 19, 
41 through 44. And when he drew near and saw the city, Jesus wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. What is he talking about? What is he talking about? He says, on this day, on this day, what day? The day that Jesus entered as the Messiah, as the King, as the Deliverer. You did not know on this day because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus, as the judge, had passed a judgment on Israel. He said, I told you through Daniel the very day I was going to set foot in this city. I told you how I was going to come. I told you what you would do. And now I'm here. And all you high priests can say is, stop your disciples from showing everybody who, we, who you are. How crazy is that? But you know, this sounds like a threat. Okay, let's take a look at it. Let's say the, the, the timetable's right. Jesus enters in 32. AD. You ever heard of a guy named Titus Vespasian? Titus Vespasian was a Roman general. Really nasty Roman general. Hardcore soldier. Fought all over the world. Never lost. Ever. Titus Vespasian came to Jerusalem for one reason. There was rebellion formatting. He was going to stop it. He did not come into the city. You know what he did? He built a siege tower around the city. He sealed the city in. Wait, where have I just read that? Hmm. Gee, your enemies will set up barricades around you and summon you and hem you in on every side. He sealed in Jerusalem for nine months. Do you know how many people died in the city because of the war that Vespasian brought? A million men, women, children, and babies were slaughtered by the sword. Half a million died of disease and sickness and famine. One and a half million Jews sealed up in Jerusalem, could not escape for nine months, died this horrible death. But he says something about not one stone being left on top of another. Vespasian wanted to keep the temple for Rome. It was a beautiful temple, beautiful landmark. He did not want to hurt the temple. In fact, just like when the U.S. bombed Japan in World War II, what was the one thing they said don't hit? The Imperial Palace. Don't hit the Imperial Palace. They told Titus Vespasian, don't hit the temple. One drunken soldier got a little angry when they came in. He had a torch right into the street. He flipped it sideways through a window into the temple. What was the temple made of? Cedar. What does cedar do when you put fire to it? Burns. The entire temple burned. But that wasn't the worst part. Titus figured out that every stone, every piece of wood in the temple was laid over with what? Gold. He had them rip every beam, every stone down and pry the gold off everything to take it back to Rome. When Titus Vespasian left, I think you'll find that Josephus says there was not a single solitary stone sitting on another stone. The entire thing was flattened to the ground. The holy place of God was gone forever still hasn't been rebuilt. That there are still stones there in Jerusalem from the top of the temple, from the temple mount itself. Jesus prophesied 
that because they did not know the hour of their visitation, they did not know the day of their salvation, they would be utterly destroyed. Here's the thing, nothing's changed. Jesus said, I am going to my father and I'm gonna make a house for Ed, nice house. The pipes won't leak, floor won't rot, TV never blows out, it's good, it's a good house. No leaking plumbing, that's a good thing. Here's the thing, Jesus said, if I'm going, I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'm taking you with me. How many people in the church know what time it is? How many people realize Jesus is ready to come back now? This is our hour of visitation. This is our opportunity to worship, to come to Christ. We talk about Bub Hebert. This is his moment. He's 81 with bladder cancer. This man is not going to have a better time to come to Jesus. Will he do it? I don't know. I can tell him who Jesus is. I can point him to the Messiah. I can point him to the cross. But it's between him and God. But let's recap it real quick. One, Jesus came at the time God had chosen for him to come. God said in eternity the day Jesus would come. He sent into the world the situation that was necessary for his son to come and preach salvation. Two, Jesus came to fulfill the prophecy of his arrival in Jerusalem and also to see fulfilled the fulfillment of all that prophecy, which is the destruction of the city, the leveling of the temple, everything else. Finally, the time in history was perfect for a savior to come to all men. Because all men were unified by the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, by the roads of the legions, and by the language of the Greeks. All men could hear the gospel. All men could be visited. And we do know that later, the Bible was in some 400 languages before the blessed Roman Catholic Church said they only needed one, which none of us could speak anyways. Jesus came at the perfect moment in time. Not one minute before, not one minute after. In the same way that happens, he's not gonna come back one minute earlier or one minute later than is the perfect fulfillment a prophecy. So our job is to realize that now is the hour of our visitation. Now is the acceptable hour of salvation. And if we are saved, we need to pray for those who are not and preach to those who are not. And if, if, if you're sitting in here tonight and you are not a believer, consider carefully the time you are in. Consider carefully what you've seen. Because you've seen a lot of prophecy made, sealed, locked in 280 years before the birth of a baby in a stable in Bethlehem, which was a self-fulfillment of prophecy. All of these things locked in and Jesus fulfilled every single one, not half of them, not three quarters, every single one of them. So if he ain't the Messiah, who is? Thank you for joining us today in the archives. I am your host, Richard Stidham. Remember that we are a listener-supported ministry here, and if you would like to contribute in any way to keeping this message on the air, you can send any gifts to Richard Stidham, 1321 Baytown, Texas, 77521. That's P.O. Box 1321, Baytown, Texas, 77521. God bless and we'll see you again in the archives.